Do you want to just get started? With our ASMR. <laughs> Welcome to the College Dry Podcast. This is an ASMR experience. We're so close to the mic. I feel like you can hear me breathing. Welcome to the College Dry. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do some tapping. Yeah. Relax. 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 Listen to my events. How long are we going to keep this pick going? The next 15 minutes are ASMR. The next 15 minutes will relax your ears. Well, that's enough of that. Yay! Okay, hello everybody. Welcome back to the College Try Podcast. How are you today? Today we are welcoming a very special guest. Please introduce yourself. Welcome to the show, Jake. Hello, hello. Yes, here I am. I don't know if it's special guest is the right term. Oh, but, whatever. You know, You're the most... I'm here. You're always special in our hearts. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you. I'll try to make it worthwhile. Oh, it'll be... <laughs> I mean, you better make it worthwhile. Yeah, yeah I'm going to get fired by this. I'm moving out. <laughs> so we weren't just being weird for the sake of being weird. We were kind of wanting to ask each other about what are our thoughts on ASMR? Oh. Do we like it? Do we hate it? Are we creeped out by it? What do you think, Jake? Uh, yeah, why don't you start, buddy? That's, I guess I'm not creeped out about it, but it's definitely not something that I would choose to listen to because it's just, it does sound weird, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I would personally not choose to be like, you know what? I wanna, I've got 15 minutes of free time right now. I think we're going to watch an ASMR video. Yeah. I think I'd pass up on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd, I'd say the same. I, I think I can respect it if it helps people relax. Like, I get that. Mm. But it's just kind of creepy to me, <laughs> and it gives me sort of a bad vibe. So <laughs> I'm not personally going to choose it, but, like, I'm not going to, you know, get down on anybody for, you know, mm. choosing it for relaxing purposes. So, yeah. What about you, Zachary? Well, I think it's pretty relaxing, if you ask me. Oh, there we oh, go. Interesting. I don't listen to it very often, but when I do, it is very relaxing, and I'm always re just ready to go to sleep. So for that reason, I obviously don't listen to it during the day. And I also don't seek it out as much as I, you know, if it's recommended, I'm like, all right, let's, let, well, it's time to listen to some relaxing whisper ASMR. And yeah, so I, I have nothing against ASMR personally. I think it's very relaxing and can be very satisfying, as long as you don't go too far down the rabbit hole into like the, the boyfriend whispers to you in your sleep at 12 a.m. Oh. Oh, gosh. Like, I try to yeah. generally avoid that part of it, but as, as long as it's just tapping on the microphone and whispering, I'm all good with that. It's a-okay. Mm. Do you like like listening to, like, certain, like, stories or just people talking in general? No, I just like listening to people talking in general. The ones that are the most tingly, I would say, are the ones where they're repeated words. So if someone just whispers, relax for 15 minutes, that actually, surprisingly, huh. it does get the job done. It does feel very relaxing. Very interesting. Love I, I, I appreciate your opinion, although I don't agree with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though it's wrong. So for those of you who aren't aware, uh, Jake is my roommate. We are roommates together. We are, yes. In the 20 Fortress of <laughs> CSF. Um, and yeah, we've uh, we've been friends for like what? Uh, I feel like we've been saying eight years for about ten years now. So yeah. <laughs> I, we'll say nine years. Yeah, we've that, been friends for nine. years. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and and Zachary, you've known Jake for how long? Four years, I want to say. Might maybe a little longer. Maybe closer to five. I would say right around like my junior year is when we started to become friends. I'd say. Yeah, that seems right. That seems right. I'll take it, but I'm terrible with real oh, time, so I'll trust yeah. you on that one. We're just throwing things to the wind here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're just making random stuff up, basically. So we've been friends for a long time, mm -hmm. and uh, just this past year, we started to room together at, at CSF. 
Um, and it's it's been pretty good. We're both here at been IU. Amazing, yeah. What's your major for the crowd? Uh, I'm a sports marketing and management major at the easiest school of public health here at <laughs> IU. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> nice. You have a special relationship with IU Athletics. Why don't you tell us about that? Oh, oh do I? <laughs> um, yeah, so for a, just a little over a year now, I've uh, had the amazing opportunity of working with the IU men's soccer team as a student manager. And it, it was a really crazy, like, week process, week long process of emailing the director of operations, just asking about, like, managing opportunities in athletics as a whole. And then I got an email like two hours later saying, Hey, would you want to come in and chat about something? And I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. Like, I, I don't know what this is going to be about, but I'm totally down for some face to face interaction talking, you know? So I went in and, uh, about halfway through, I, it was just a, it was just a conversation and about halfway through. I realized that he was asking me questions about like availability and like what, like what type of experience I think that this would be about. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this feels kind of like a job interview. <laughs> and then as I was leaving, uh, he was like, uh, my boss was, yeah. And within the next week, we'll let you know if you get the job. And then it was, uh, right after my last final of the semester, I got a text saying, we'd love to have you on. And so for a year I've been working with the team now. So it's been a crazy journey so far. Are you the sole soccer manager? Uh, no. So right now we have five, but three of those are seniors and one's a junior and then I'm the sophomore. So we have like a a two week on, two week off rotation that we uh, we schedule ahead of time. All right, um, and then work through that. Yeah, that's really cool. So all the dominoes and the chips kind of just magically aligned in that situation, and it's like, here we go. This is my new job now. Yeah, for sure. Like it was, it was crazy because like a week before that, I had no intention or like any idea that student managers were a thing, and then that week, I was watching IU men's soccer team practice from the sidelines, which was just crazy. And then like actually helping out and being a part of the team is insane to think about still, even after a full year. But mm. so, so what does a normal day look like then for you? Like in being a manager? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a lot of mundane tasks. Uh, one of the things that he told me during the interview was like, there's zero glory uh, <laughs> in this job. Um, but I honestly, I really enjoy that. Like it, there's not a ton of pressure with it. I mean, there's a lot of, smaller jobs like the the main things that we have to do are getting practices set up so making sure that goals are in place cones are set up balls are aired up um and so just like just making sure that the team is ready to go once they get there and they need to get started um and then throughout practice we'll help clean up different drills um will a a big job that we have is being assistant referees so on the sidelines um calling uh offsides calls and that sort of thing um and then one of the most important jobs we have is filming practices and games and so um after a year i'm still still waiting <laughs> for my first first full game but that will be this friday uh against wisconsin so that'll be an exciting uh exciting time because i've been waiting for a game day experience for a very long time now mm-hmm. but that's awesome yeah what are your favorites and least favorite parts of it i would say favorite part is just being involved with a very like as professional 
level as I could get right now soccer team. For me to be working with one of the best college programs in the country has been, like like I said earlier, an absolutely amazing opportunity. Um, and to know that I'm a part of it and, and get to help out the team as much as I possibly can, I think it's super cool. And it's something that I could have never dreamed of, like going into college, that that's something that I, I would be doing. Um, as far as least favorite, I would say just me being like extroverted and me being a seven on the Enneagram. Ayo. I know. Yeah, exactly. Right. I really enjoy being able to talk to people and being like able to include myself in different things. But there is that natural divide between player and manager where it's not huge because it's like we're still students, but you just have to sort of pick and choose your times for interaction. Um, and that can be kind of hard for me at some t- at some points. But for the most part, it's been pretty good, especially in the last couple of months, just because I've sort of cemented myself uh, in the team now that I've been there for a year. But we're still uh, still working on it right now. One question that still sticks out to me is, what is your actual duties? Like, do you hit the kids with sticks when they misbehave or like what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. I don't feel fully know what like your actual job is. It's just being ready to get anything set up whenever. So one of our mantras is that uh, when the team is moving, we are not. And when the team is not moving, we are. Wow, that's really, really good. <laughs> yeah. So it's like if, if they've finished up a drill, that's their downtime. That's when we're doing the most work. And if they're in the middle of a drill, that's when we don't have uh, too much to do. Um, unless there's like balls flying around everywhere and we need to go uh, pick them up and then bring them back. But other than that, it's it's just being told what to do at a moment's notice and then doing it in a timely manner, mm. which I feel like I do a fairly good job of. And hopefully the coaches notice and put in a good word for me when I'm looking for real jobs. Promotion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Promotion to real job. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's extremely cool. And that's definitely, a, I know, a good fit for you as well. It's really cool that you can think on your feet and really excel in that environment. That's awesome. So the real question, the real gossip that's on everyone's mind, what's it like to live with Joe? Oh, you know, it's just the worst experience that I could have ever (laughs) imagined. Um, No, like legitimately, I couldn't have asked for a better roommate. Like when I think about, it's funny because I was thinking about this just a few days ago where I was like, back when we were like freshman, sophomore, maybe even in middle school, like we were friends, but like we weren't that close. I would have never in a million years have guessed that we would be rooming together in college and that we'd be as close as we are. But uh, no, it's been amazing. We rarely get into any sort of disagreement about anything. Um, My favorite part about rooming with Joe is probably just like the late night chats that we have is we we sort of have like a a, a daily debrief of everything that's gone on which I, I really really enjoy and so um, I usually eat cereal and then you play a guitar and so yeah. it's a just a really nice mix and he's a phenomenal uh, interior decorator so <laughs> I literally have like a couple of flags up in the room and he's taking care of everything else so mm. it's mm. it's taking a load off my back for sure wow well I very much appreciate mm. that, Jake. Yeah. Uh, yeah, everything I just said was a lie. <laughs> I was going to say the next question: is, Do you secretly hate me? Yeah. And if so why? That's right. Yeah, um, no, but yeah, I, I would, I would reflect that for you, and mm. I really enjoyed, uh, you know, being roommates with you and getting closer because we were close, but like you right. said, we weren't as close as we are now, which is okay because mm-hmm. we were just in high school. So, um, but yeah, it's been really, really great to form, you know, even 
better connections. For sure. So, um, Zachary, what do you think of your roommates? Well, <laughs> Stevie, question. Mm-hmm. I don't have any roommates because I still live at home. So I'm enjoying for maybe, maybe this will change when I go out into the world in the workforce, but I'm enjoying a stage of my life where I can get a nice space to myself and mm. a nice little office corner to myself, which is amazing for me. I love it. But that means obviously I have to be, it's almost the re- reverse of your two situation. I have to be more intentional about going out and seeing people versus you have to be intentional about not seeing people. If you ever want to escape, you have to go hide in the basement and you know, it's really hard to get that done. But yeah, for now I don't have a roommate, so I don't hate my roommate. So, you know, I'll let you know if things change though. Good stuff. Good stuff. And for some reason, you also mentioned cereal and guitar. For some reason, cereal always tastes better at night and I don't know why. I don't know what's going on there. Oh, all the time. Yeah. It's like, it's nice in the morning, but like when, when it's 12 o'clock or one o'clock, there's no better snack to have than a bowl of cereal. Cause there was one night where I was eating pretzel and pretzels and cereal. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is the best food I've ever tasted. And I'm not sure what is going on right now. Yeah. It, it just takes on this magical quality. Like forget eating cereal in the morning. That's, that's for losers eating cereal at night. Uh, that's what the true champions do. Or if you you want to be the best of the best eating cereal at 4 a.m. Get the best of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> Atomic Habits follow-up. Uh, this will be awkward, Jake, if you haven't heard this episode. I'm afraid that I have not <laughs> caught up all you the way. Undedicated fan. <laughs> oh. That's right. All I was going to say is for a quick note from last time, we mentioned how to make habits easier. And some quick, very quick, like 30 second follow up from that. What I've done is put my journal. I want to fill it out every morning and every night. I put it in a super convenient place an even more convenient place than it was before. It's just on my shelf. So I am more likely to fill it out. And I'm just now getting to the point, as you said, Joe, we've hit that magic 21 day mark where everything is starting to feel natural. And I, I just see it every day and fill it out every day. And in addition, something I wanted to work on, which we can talk about eventually, is I wanted to practice bass more often. And if I was honest with myself, I was literally never practicing bass. So what I did is I nicely asked my dad if I could borrow one of his bases to put in my room. So I did. And now it's in my room. And so is the keyboard. So I'm more likely to practice music because it's just right here and I'm always around it. And even if I only practice one time a week, that's better than the zero times a week I was practicing before. So again, James Clear's wisdom, it's coming through and I am being able to to implement it in even more ways than I was before. Yeah, that's great. That's honestly like that's the best part of it is to see sort of the habit that you want to happen come to fruition. And it's hard to get there for sure. I'm sure it wasn't easy like the 16th or 17th day when you were like, Ugh, like this is not, you know, it's sort of halfway a habit and halfway not. But, you know, it's it's really, really awesome to see it sort of come to a point where it is a habit and like it's something that you desire to do because it's just what you what your brain says it wants to do so that that's awesome and speaking of things our brain wants to do as usual we talk about our media habits and the things we're watching and reading and joe has been reading dune and then we're also going to be talking about another another piece of literature and movie so yes joe Talk to us about Dune. I don't know if I've talked about it before. Um, I probably have. I mentioned it maybe briefly. You have. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, future uh, editor Zachary. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so basically just to give you a little rundown, Dune is uh, a sci-fi book that was written in, I think, the 60s, and it's set in the very far future, and it's just it's set in different worlds uh, throughout the galaxy. So um, the story of Dune takes place on the planet known uh, both by the name Arrakis and also by Dune. And it's just the story of sort of, I think at its heart, it's like a coming of age story. Um, although I'm only like 250 pages in. So 
I don't know exactly where it's going to go uh, because it's an 800-page book. It's massive. So um, it's one of the biggest books I've ever attempted to read. So I will have to get back to you when I'm done with it. But right now, I'm loving it. It's just, I mean, it lights up in my brain like a movie. Like It's like I see, as I'm reading the words, I see the picture in my mind of what it would look like in reality, which is so cool yeah. for me. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's great. Um, highly recommend it. Although again, I haven't finished it, so I will get back to you. But yeah, that is sort of my book review. Jake, have you read any books recently that you would like to give a little <laughs> shout out review to? The one book that I think I've read in the past five years of my entire, uh, of, of my life is uh, I read the Matthew McConaughey green lights book. Um, and I feel like the only reason that I actually finished it is because 50% of the pages are either covered up with a picture or some sort of quote that he wrote down. Mm. <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was a really interesting read just to like sort of get a, a inside scoop on what Matthew McConaughey is like off screen. Cause I mean, I, I've always enjoyed him. He's always been a, a, a really down to earth actor. And so like whenever you see an actor like that, um, that you can sort of relate to at least a little bit. It's always a little bit more interesting than the super high profile ones. Um, but I, it basically was just a, a diary that, or not even necessarily a diary, but just life experiences that he's written down for the past 40 some odd years. Um, and he just goes through different stages of his life and like what acting was like coming from Texas and like just different points in life where challenges come up and we have to deal with them. And so it was really cool to see how even though he's like high and mighty up in Hollywood, he still has to deal with everyday problems. So, And he was super down to earth about it, which is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I He's one of my favorite actors, mm-hmm. and I would honestly really love to read that book. But I, like I said, currently have kind of, <laughs> kind of a bit of a book on my plate. So. 14,000 pages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, feels like it. Yeah. One piece of media that we've all kind of been uh, exposed to, either recently or you know semi-recently, is a story. It, it was written as a book, but it's it's been a movie. It's, I think there's been three iterations of it. Um, it's called Far From The Matting Crowd. Uh, I believe we talked about it on the podcast when we had Jack on. Um, he loves that book. I love that book because he loves that book. <laughs> I don't think I would have liked it otherwise because I wouldn't have understood it uh, or tried to understand it, that is. So me and Zachary, we both read the book in high school. We were in the same class. And uh, Jake, we just watched that movie right. uh, the other night. And I was wanting to see what your review of it was, Zachary. And then we can kind of go around the circle and, and, and say what we thought. I don't remember much, if I'm being perfectly honest. I do remember that there was Bathsheba, who, you know, the name may or may not may not tell you a bit about her if you're looking at it in a biblical context. But she, you know, was around the shepherd, this handsome young, young drink of water, Gabriel Oak. And it was basically like this, if I'm remembering correctly, it was like this big mess because there was like this old guy named Boldwood who was 40 and really creepy. And he was saying, let's get married. And then, oh, but Gabriel, you know, my heart truly belongs to Gabriel. And it was nothing but like, you know, 400 pages of drama and sadness. And if I'm, yeah, if I'm remembering correctly, it was, yeah, it was just very sad and a bit creepy. And, you know, like many old books, I didn't fully get it. But once I was done, I was glad I read it because there was some good stuff to be had in the story. And I make it sound terrible. Mm. 
And so I'm making this big mess that Joe <laughs> will now clean up by telling you what's good about the store. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> um, thanks for teaming me up there. I yeah. appreciate it. Um, yeah. So, so basically, I don't want to – this is a non-spoiler review because I would love for people to go either preferably read the book because the book is – you know, by far the best way to tell the story because it's, you know, doesn't have a time limit, doesn't, you know, have to save money with shots and, and cutting out scenes and dialogue and stuff. So definitely read the book if you can. If you cannot watch any one of the movies, they're all pretty good. Um, but yeah, so I'm not going to give too much away because I would love for people to, to actually, you know, consume this content because it's amazing. Um, but Basically, the story is that there is uh, a man, as as Zachary said, uh, Gabriel Oak, near the beginning of the story, uh, falls in love with a woman named Bathsheba Everdeen. And it's basically a story of the two of them, but more so her as she kind of goes through this journey of like making poor decisions and. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you get to see how she makes these poor decisions and then how Gabriel goes about them um, because they kind of directly affect him most of the time. At the end of the day, it's a story about people, and that's why it's still relevant. It was written in 1870-something in England, so it's not... Because it's a story about people and people's motives and the way that people act, the difference in older English versus, you know, present English, like, the difference in what they wore, how they spoke, how they acted, like... That doesn't make a difference because there are still people like those people that exist today. And it's a story about people. That's why it's still relevant. And that's why it's so enjoyable <laughs> to watch and like put yourself in or put other people in. And you're like, oh my gosh, like that's crazy. Um, it, it's a great, great, great book. Highly would recommend reading it or watching it. However you can consume it, definitely read it. It's it's very I've never seen Downton Abbey, but I've I've heard it. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Jake, Jake is an avid fan. Um, but, you know, it's sort of that slow burn drama. In this case, it's a romantic drama. So take that as you will. But that's my review is obviously a very glowing one. But Jake, what did you think? Uh, yes, I watched the movie last night. I have not read the book. <laughs> I think I could just say that it's frustratingly entertaining mm -hmm. because there are so many moments where you just sort of sit back. You're like, why did that just happen? Like, how did you make that decision? And how are you and the other character? How are you OK with this? You know, mm -hmm. um, it, with that being said, it is a very entertaining watch. And I did really, really enjoy it because, like Joe says, it is a very relatable story where you can sort of like see how it relates to today, even though it's set way back in the horse and buggy days. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, I, yeah, I, I love what you said. Frustratingly, what did you say? Entertaining? Frustratingly entertaining. It's that's a tongue twister. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Because <laughs> you literally, it, you know, if you're reading it, you know, line by line, it's like, what is happening? <laughs> you know? And if you're watching it scene by scene, you, you just kind of fall deeper into this, like, why do you make so much, so many poor decisions? Um, but, but and uh, you know, it is frustrating, but that's... The beauty of a story. If, if there wasn't a conflict, there wouldn't be a story. So, you know, take that as you will. We're not trying to spoil it. It's not just, you know, high on a mountaintop right. all the time. Um, it is most often 
frustrating and that's okay because it's a that's what makes it a good story in my mm-hmm. opinion yeah you two are absolutely right there's this fundamental principle of people don't change even when it was the 1700s and the 1800s there was still all this teenage and young adult mm-hmm. drama going on about who likes who and oh i don't want to seem awkward and <laughs> everyone's just second guessing themselves all the time that's kind of the then the entire thing and there's this have either of you two ever seen or any of the versions or read any of the versions of emma by jane austen i have not i no. yeah i've not either but i've heard of it and i've heard people like that it is one that i am a bit more familiar with and it's this exact same thing of like everyone is prim and proper or are they because once you pull back the curtain of them being prim and proper it's just you know there there's so much uncertainty and everything just hiding underneath the surface people have not changed in any way uh, drama has always been the same and drama will always continue being the same that's the train wreck that you two are, were alluding to you can't look away from this train wreck it is you know it just captivates you even though <laughs> there's there's some things there's some things that are going wrong some things going right but in the end of the at the end of the day it's frustratingly entertaining Speaking of an experience that has some elements of frustration to it, I know that you two have both been involved with a a group called Disciples in the past, in which you do something that I don't understand. <laughs> you basically ride a hundred miles on your bike in the hot sun every day for for like an entire month, and that sounds that sounds quite crazy. And in episode one, Joe talked a bit about what his experience was like. We didn't take a super deep dive, and we sort of alluded to, well, oh, we'll talk more about it someday. Mm-hmm. So we're making good on our promise and bringing in another person to, to give you a kind of a different perspective from it. And before we get too much into that, can you both give us a brief overview about what it was like? Basically, the best way I can explain it, and correct me if, if you think that you can do a better job, Jake. Okay, I will. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so basically the trip is uh, young adults and college students, um, mostly high school, college-aged, mm-hmm. um, and some older uh, cyclists from the Bloomington uh, community take those kids uh, and young adults on a trip. Yeah, every year it involves cycling on a bicycle, a some would say very uh, hilariously long <laughs> uh, journey. And uh, yeah, so we actually, it was great because, again, I wasn't super close to you before the trip. Right, yeah. Um, and we both went the same year. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that actually because I, sure. I never understood why you decided to go. Yeah, you just I don't think we've ever talked about that. Yeah. yeah. No, we haven't. So, um, but yeah, so we both went in 2016, which was five years five ago. Five years ago. Well, four and a half right now, but this almost five. five. Yeah. yeah. Which is crazy. Um, cause it feels like, well, I mean, it does feel like a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> five years is a long time. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that, that's kind of, um, what it, the trip was itself. Um, and so, yeah, now do you mm. want to do best and worst moments first or do you want me to go? Um, no, you go. And since you, you led the conversation, I'll do right. yours first. I think that my best moments um, were the moments that either involved having good connections with the people on the trip or being in a beautiful place. Mm. So I, I mean, I remember, again, it's been very, a very long time ago now for me, mm. you know, I remember like going to these beautiful vistas over that overlooked the sea or like when you would get to, the, I, I hesitate to say mountain, but like. They were kind no, of mountains. they were mountains, yeah. for sure. When, when you grow up in Indiana your entire <laughs> life, these places are mountains. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, if you've ever been to the coast of California, you know what I'm talking about. It's it's very uh, hairpin turns, mm-hmm. up and down, the whole way. Um, right. We, of course, were on Highway 1 for a long, mm-hmm. long time. Um, that's what most of the trip was, just on the coast. We uh, Yeah, so we started in Seattle, 
um, and then made our way down to Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, was, it ended up being what, what, sixteen hundred miles? I think around sixteen hundred. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it was just beautiful the whole way down. Um, we got to see Mount St. Helens. I mean, just the beautiful stuff like that. And then the best moments, like, were that. And and then you know, <laughs> you and me and and another one of our friends like walked around Mount St. Helens. Yeah. And just, like, hung out and talked. It was awesome, yeah. Um, and like times, my brother was on the trip, my older brother Sam, and so like times when I got to hang out with him or, you know, other friends of mine and just have good connection, um, it just felt great. Um, and so those were the best moments. I think the worst moments for me were the moments I was homesick because oh. I had never been on a trip like that before. Uh, so far away from where I had grown up my whole life and so far away from all the normalcy of life. <laughs> And not only was I far away, but I was doing something physically difficult. And at the time, I think I was f- 14. Yeah, because yeah, we would have been... Yeah, I would have turned 15. Because I was 15, yeah. Yeah. So the, I, I was 14 at the time, which, yeah, I don't know. It was just a lot for me, and <laughs> I was homesick a lot. Um, and so that was tough. I had a few crashes along the way, and that was tough. Because on the trip, when you get in a crash or you can't ride, you have to ride in the van. And that kind of feels, it doesn't feel great to be, you know, on this trip where your sole purpose is to be riding a bike and everybody else is but you. And yeah, that doesn't feel great. And so, yeah, I, I think that generally speaking, those were the best and worst moments. But Jake, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I'd have to agree that the best moments for me were just being able to see these awesome places down the entirety of the West Coast. Um, stuff that like I'd never seen before, like you mentioned Mount St. Helens or uh, Sequoia National Park, like these ginormous mm-hmm. like house-sized trees mm-hmm. that uh, it's hard to comprehend like what they look like until you're actually there uh, in person. Um, and I think oddly enough for me, I feel like the the best part of the trip was bike riding, even though that's the hardest, most physical, challenging thing I've probably ever done in my life. I really enjoyed as long as you were in a good group. If you're in a group that like was with semi-pro like riders that are gonna go and ride in college uh, mm-hmm. for teams and stuff, those were awful because they'd be going 20 miles an hour, whereas the rest of the trip you're 14 years old and you're, <laughs> you're just coasted at 10. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you know, like one of the best parts is being able to say that you've you've gone from Seattle to LA on a bike because that's a long car ride you know like that would take you several days to do in a car so to be able to say that you did it on a, a bicycle when you're 15 and have no clue what the world is actually like <laughs> is is pretty impressive i feel like mm-hmm. um worst part would either be weather um or the adults on the trip because for whatever reason even though you would think west coast best coast it's beautiful right <laughs> We had rain the entire time. We had high winds the entire time. So it was just after a couple of weeks of wearing your very unprepared rain jackets, but definitely didn't do anything, Mm -hmm. and being ready for sun, it was definitely a little bit more tiring than I thought it was going to be. Um, And then I just feel like the adults could not have handled the trip worse than they did because mm-hmm. there were just so many issues <laughs> shots fired yeah, there was just so many issues that popped up where you you would go to bed and you'd be like did that really just happen like did we just have a drug search at two in the morning with everybody it's just crazy things mm-hmm. that were just insane for my 
tiny little brain to comprehend. That actually happened, by the way. That's yes. not like a crazy example. You no, pulled out of his butt. That was real. <laughs> that actually yeah. happened. To speak on what you said, Joe, about homesickness, you're right about that's an intense way to start your journey of like going away from home for extended periods of time. Especially if you're if you're saying that you know you spend a lot of time at home and then all of a sudden okay you're going to spend long times away from home physically exhausting mentally exhausting because two a.m. drug search mm-hmm. and so on maybe you know exhaust exhausting in all these ways and you're right that's incredibly intense way to go like from zero to one thousand that being said not to put like too much of a rose colored tent on everything but hopefully in the end as with many things in life the good memories out- do outweigh the bad memories so you remember oh the homesickness was kind of bad but those mountains were awesome. And so, you know, in the end, I I like to think it all balances out a little bit more toward the good side. I would totally agree. I think not only do I remember the better parts, um, I do remember the bad parts, but the bad parts were formative. (laughs) Um, They were, they were, I mean, one one thing I've kind of realized in the past couple of years is that the only way to change is to grow and growing hurts sometimes. And it doesn't feel great to grow because you have to do something you've never done before. Mm -hmm. And that's uncomfortable most times. So at the time, there were times and I was like, hmm, I wonder if I threw myself off the road in the right way and could like hurt my leg bad enough that I could be sent home and like not feel bad about it. And like that actually crossed my mind a couple of times. And, you know, it happens and you 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 just get through it and you get to the next stop and you get to the next church and you do the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day and then you're done. And I'm I'm better for it. I don't know if I would be the same person I am if I hadn't done that when I had done that. So, um, I'm, I am grateful personally, even though it was a terribly mismanaged trip and (laughs) it was hard, it was still good. Would you say the trip changed you in a similar way, Jake? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, just to like have that in your back pocket of, all right, if you're going through something that sucks a little bit, like in regular everyday life, uh, or, or like if you're working out for a couple of hours, you just have to tell yourself, you're like, okay, your 15-year-old self rode a bike from <laughs> Seattle to LA. You can push through this. So mm-hmm. like Joe said, it's very formative. Like you, you can't grow without some pain. That trip was definitely a growing experience because it's like, who does that? Like what person decides, yeah, this is this is something I want to do. I want to take a month out of my summer to ride a bike mm-hmm. with a bunch of people I don't know. <laughs> yep. So for that reason, would both of you recommend going? Mm. That's a tough question. <laughs> that is a tough question. Um, I think I think I'd have to say yes, just because it is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, and if you had the ability to go, I would recommend it. I would hope that it would be run a little bit more smooth than what we had. Um, but in terms of like a trip that you can do and you can say that you did and be proud of it, I would a thousand percent have to say that I'd have to recommend it. Yeah, I would, I would reluctantly agree. As I said, I'm not sure if I would have grown the same way and, and have the same skills and resilience that I have (laughs) now, um, if I hadn't done it. And like I said, I'm grateful for that, Mm -hmm. even though it was hard, even though it was uncomfortable it gave me skills it gave me experiences to look back on and say man like i did that i can do this you know and and push through so would i recommend going yes but the three weeks that you spend on the trip 
are going to be tough mm-hmm. and it's going to be not as easy as being at home in the summer or going right. to work in the summer. It's, it's hard. It is. And it's uncomfortable. And there will be times when you wish that you had just stayed home and <laughs> you were waking up in bed at 10 o'clock rather than, you know, on a church floor in the basement on a sleeping bag that's uncomfortable and cold at yeah. eight o'clock or six o'clock in the morning. And hearing um, disciples grab your bikes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's just so much trauma there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Even for me, who's not gone, those words are sending chills down my spine. Oh, they hurt. Yeah, it's a physical like urge to puke mm-hmm. when when you hear those words, mm-hmm. for sure. I feel like I have a few technical questions. So, for example, what was the rate kind of the ratio throughout the day? How many hours was your were you sitting down on the bike? How many hours were you awake but not sitting on the bike? And how many hours were you not asleep on the cold floor? It would depend on the day. So there were some days where it would be. <laughs> A quote unquote easy 50 miles, mm. right? Um, and like when you saw that on the stat sheet, you're like, oh, yes, this is this yep. is an easy day somehow. Just a quick 50 miles, yeah. Just a quick 50 miles, exactly. <laughs> um, and th- but then you also have the days where it's like 100 or 110 or something like that. But I would say that our average day was around 70 ish, which would probably average out to being on the bike for about eight hours during the day. Um, and that would have like a stop for like going to the bathroom or getting some food and snacks probably every 15 to 20 miles. So we'd have like three to four stops a day. Okay. Yeah. And depending on how fast your group was going, there were some groups that on a 70 mile day would leave at the same time as everybody else, but get back, get to the destination an hour or two hours after just because if like Jake was saying, it just depends on who's leading the group, Mm -hmm. who's in the group. And the, the, you know, terrain. Yeah. Did you run over a piece of glass and you have to rebuild your bike tires from scratch? (laughs) There was, so my brother actually had, uh, like, I think he had, he doesn't like to talk about it because, um, it's sort of not a fun experience, but he had like, I want to say it was like 12 flats or something (sighs) because he, his rim tape was bad. And if you don't know, your rim tape is what, for the viewer, um, Zachary, I'm sure you're an expert on rim tape. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> um, your rim tape is what separates your spokes in your wheel uh, from your tube. And so if your rim tape is bad, then your then your spokes poke through. Mm-hmm. And if you hit a bump or something, it can poke your, your uh, tube, your tube and your tire. So the tube goes flat and your wheel goes flat and it's not a fun time. You have to change it. Um, so, yeah, there were times that that definitely happened and that would waste time or... Uh, you know, like I said, if you have someone leading that isn't necessarily super fast and maybe you've got a couple of kids in your group that, you know, weren't as prepared to go or they like to mess around or, or you know, whatever, you are stuck with them and you have to deal with that for the whole day. And if you get back late, you get back late. And that's that's how it is. Um, the second time I went, uh, Jake didn't go with me the mm-hmm. second time, but um, there was a day that we were the last group. And we had gotten back an hour and a half or two hours after um, everybody else. And it was terrible because (laughs) I walked in and I like got the last bit of dinner. And then I took a very quick shower and fell into my bed and was done. And just it was just it sucked. But honestly, being in a fast group and getting there first is really not much better. No, no, not at all. There's because there's some days where like you, you understand where they're coming from because they're so much like so much more prepared than you are because they've been riding for years and years and like that's their life goal is to become like a pro 
like cyclist, right? But with that being said, there there seemed to be with some of the riders and some of the leaders like this disconnect of ability where they like they couldn't fathom that you couldn't keep up with them. And so you would be dropping and you would be unable to keep up with them the entire day, which makes a 80 miles on a bike a living hell because you can't do anything to help like yourself because they're not helping you, you know? So it has its ups and downs with having a fast group because like you say, you get there quicker, but it's also a way more difficult day. Yeah. And who really cares if you get there two hours early? Yeah, exactly. If you're just like want to fall <laughs> yeah. on the ground and die, who cares? Might as well take an extra two hours and just, you know, nicely come in on a breeze and then enjoy sitting down and relaxing. Amen. You understand it, Zach. You get it. <laughs> it's, it's not necessarily that dramatic to call it a living hell because on the longer rides I've done, and if I was out of shape and tried to do like a 50 mile type thing, mm-hmm. basically it would just like your legs start locking up and then they feel like they're on fire. And then they come get numb and then they kind of alternate feeling like they're on fire and getting numb. So, yeah. And that's not even going super fast. That's just going medium yeah. for you too. I'm sure it's all about training, mm-hmm. stretch it out, you know, stretch it out some more and, you know, pray for the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we did stretches every day. Yep. Um, I don't know if they helped, but. Vitamin pills. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, they absolutely did because. If you are questioning the fact that they didn't help, that means they helped Mm. because your legs weren't on fire the whole time. So go you. It worked. That makes sense. But yeah, so that was kind of a day in the life of the cycles. That's right. Speaking of going places uh, fast and doing things, um, (laughs) me and Jake have both uh, done delivery driving um, in the past and delivering food. So we just wanted to give a little bit of an insight for those of you out there who order food from places like B-Town Menus or uh, DoorDash or Grubhub or even Mm -hmm. Chick-fil-A Delivery. So Jake, why don't you start? Who did you start driving for and when did you start driving? Yes, so I started driving for B-Town Menus. Uh, right at the end of uh, December of 2020. I had been looking for a job for a long time uh, because uh, student managing doesn't pay at all. <laughs> <laughs> I like was super hesitant to start, but eventually I was like, you know what? Being able to pick my own hours, this is the perfect gig. So I'll, I'll start it up. And I haven't really picked it up since school has started back up, but I did do delivery driving pretty much all of January of this year. Good stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I uh, started uh, when quarantine hit for the first time uh, back in March of 2020. Um, and it, business was booming back then because <laughs> nobody yeah. was going out. Yes. Things did not slow down at all in the food business. Not even the tiniest bit. They just shot up 45%. No, no, not at all. People still need to eat. Uh, yeah. So I was obviously trying to be careful cause we didn't know that much at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I was, I was making pretty good money. And so I continued through the summertime, uh, and I sort of fell off when school started, um, but picked it back up in December. And then recently I realized that our insurance actually didn't cover me while driving, which I think mentioned, I mentioned that maybe last episode, I don't know. Yes. But, uh, so I, I just stopped working for B-Town Menus and I started working for Chick-fil-A Delivery instead because uh, I don't have to drive my own car for that, which is great. Mm. Uh, so, so yeah, but we've both had a lot of experiences. Um, Zachary, have you ever thought about doing delivery driving? Yes, I have thought about it. It is a possible plan for the summer. I have other plans that I'm going to look into doing first, but I've definitely thought about it. It, it seems like kind of Chick-fil-A light and, you know, we'll get into that in a minute, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, nice. For sure. Um, yeah, so Jake... Why don't you start us off? Mm. What what was the worst experience you ever had mm. with uh, a customer? So 
in my short career so far <laughs> as a delivery driver, I haven't had a ton of bad experiences, uh, thankfully. I would say the the only bad one I can think about is there was this one delivery to a person that I was pretty sure I had gone to high school with. I wasn't 100% <laughs> sure. Uh-huh, yeah. um, but, like, so those of you don't, that don't know, when you get to the place that you're trying to deliver to, it can be slightly difficult to find the place. And this was an apartment that had, like, the door had locked from, like, the the outside. The the outside door was completely locked, so I couldn't get in. But it was an apartment, and so I couldn't get to the door of this person. Um, And so I had to text them or call them um, to try to get them to come out and grab their food, and they would not answer my texts or answer my calls. I, I think I called them like four times in a span of like five minutes and got nothing. And so I was, like, I was sort of like, all right, I have other orders that I need to go take care of. Um, I'm not just going to sit here and wait for them to come down. And so I left and it wasn't until I got into the other side of town that they texted me saying that they were coming down to grab their food. And I was like, I had to text. Them. I was like, I'll, I'll be back in 15. I like went to go deliver more orders. Mm. Um, so that was just frustrating because it was at the, the very end of the night. Um, and I was ready to be done and to have to like basically deliver to a place twice mm-hmm. is never fun. Mm-hmm. Um, best experience though, I guess the one nice thing about nice and bad thing about B Town is that there are lulls in getting deliveries. And so if you're like really like roar, like if you really want to make money, lulls are never good. But if you're just sort of like, I'll just get on for a little bit of time, then it could be nice. Um, but the, this one night, I think I had two orders in my first two hours of being on the clock, and both of those orders got me around $25. Nice. And so I had to do very, very minimal amounts of work, and I made like close to 45 50 bucks in that short amount of time. So it was... It can be really nice to have like not that much going on. It can also be bad. But in that one night, I, it, was, it was glorious because I just sat in a parking lot for two hours, basically, and made 50 bucks. So it was really nice. Yeah, a few things there. It was always the worst when you saw people that you kind of knew. Yes. Like, as you mentioned, people you maybe knew from high school. And that was the case definitely at the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. It's like, I think I've talked to this person before a few times, like, in a past life five <laughs> right, years ago. Yeah. But also, I'm not sure. And maybe they recognize me, and maybe they don't. And maybe they're thinking this exact same series of steps. And it was just awkward. So I just played it safe and just treated them, you know, like any other valued guest. I was just sort of nice and helped them out and get, got what they need. But I, you know, at no point in time did I initiate anything to say that I did. <laughs> and that was, that was something that even my coworkers did. It was like, oh, I knew this lady, you know, a long time ago, but she was she was mean to me and I don't like her. And then it was like, oh, how's it going? And then, and then she would, you know, the lady would realize, you know, five minutes and that, that she, and it just, it can be very, very awkward. It's, it's very stressful. I, I like, I like the idea of just sort of driving away, you know, floor the gas and let's get out of this situation. Yeah. Cause you were, you were sometimes forced into very awkward situations. You know, we'll get into that in a minute. And in addition, you mentioned delivering to the same place multiple times and duplicating work at Chick-fil-A was a big thing as well. And, you know, continues to be a big thing because it's like, you don't want to do the same thing multiple times. If you get something wrong, now you have to do all your work over again. If you, you know, mistake, get the order wrong, you have to, yeah, you have to redo everything. So duplicating work, it's a big thing. You can't always help it, but you know, if it, the, the really good people, the really experienced people are like, <laughs> no, know how to avoid that for sure. And yes, I liked what you said, optimize for short times, and lots of money in those short times. So two hours and 50 bucks of, you know, sitting in the parking lot. Great. Sign me up for it. I'll just start with the best. That, that's the better. best. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
uh, it was this one night and I didn't have a lot of orders and I was sitting in the Jordan parking lot. It was a summertime too. So that makes it like 10 times better. Um, and all of a sudden I got this order from the tap. And, and when you get an order from, for B-Town menus, you don't see how much the order is for. So you don't see like how much they spent and you don't see, you, you don't see the tip that they give you until you deliver it. Smart design. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so I uh, accepted the order from the tap and I drove over there and I got there and I realized that this order was like a hundred dollars worth of food. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hmm, I really hope that they tip me well, because this is a lot of food. And I, now to be honest with you, it doesn't really make sense why you tip the delivery driver like you would a waiter mm-hmm. because all we're doing is driving the food to you but i'm not complaining so no, continue really to do no. that <laughs> yeah if you think about it too hard it completely breaks down like a lot of these tip weird american tipping rules that aren't true in the uk for example it don't think about it too hard because it totally breaks down for sure but that night was great because i got there and i think he ended up tipping me like 22 dollars or Oof, something beautiful which is a huge tip yeah. for for us i mean yeah. normally we get like maybe five Five dollars. In addition to yeah. the way B Town does it, is you get a delivery fee too, so you get a base fee no matter what, and then you add the tip to that. So, um, so that order I think got me like twenty five bucks, which is crazy. It's um, beautiful. Yeah, that was a great night, and I think the worst experience that I ever had was uh, I think in like maybe April or something, April or May. I was relatively new, and I picked up this order from uh, a restaurant in town, and everything was fine. I took it to the place. Um, in the notes, they said for, to just drop it off, um, cause they were doing no contact. So I, I found the door and I dropped it and I left and I had texted her to tell her that I dropped it off. And as I was kind of going down the road, she was like, I don't see it. And I was like, well, okay, then let me go back mm-hmm. and get it and I'll leave it at the right door. That's fine. Uh, and then I got there. And the food was gone at the door that I left it at. So I concluded that the people that lived inside stole the food. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, my fault completely because I, 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 all the doors were numbered the same, but the buildings themselves had numbers. So I went oh, to the right yeah. door number, but the wrong building number. Oh, yes, yes. I know what you mean exactly. So my fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hate that. But they stole the food. And I kid you not, I stood there for probably 30 minutes knocking on the door occasionally talking through the door to try and get their attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wouldn't answer. They never did. Wow. <laughs> so I had to communicate with my dispatcher, the customer, and the restaurant um, about how to get the order made again, if it was going to cost me anything, um, like if there was going to be con- – like I had no idea. I was so confused. I was very scared. Yeah. Um, and I ended up having to go back – all the way across town to get the the order again, take it all the way back and and give it to the lady. And she wasn't even that mad, which mm-hmm. is really helpful. But just the fact that somebody took the order that wasn't theirs and they knew it is just crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was most definitely my my worst experience. But overall, it was a good job. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can make a lot of money if you're smart. Um, and and you know, you're out there a lot and you work for a long time and you take a lot of orders. You can make quite a bit of money yeah which is great so um so zachary did what 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 was your worst experience in customer service in general while we're on the topic well well let's get let's actually start with with the best experience because you know start with the positive hey Mm, that's better so the best days ever at chick-fil-a and for context i think i think we established the context just in case we didn't jake is b-town menus is that correct yes Okay, so Jake is B-Town, Joe used to be B-Town, and then because of insurance, he switched to Chick-fil-A driving, which is his current job. 
And then in the past, I worked Chick-fil-A front of house and that not delivery driving. And that's that's the context. So just, you know, keep that in mind. So my my good and bad experiences will be quite a bit different than theirs. So in general, Chick-fil-A was a very good job. And the best days were when everything just sort of clicked, which it sounds like very, very vague, but it was it was really cool because if you sort of were just with coworkers you liked, it was just, you know, a lot a lot of people were working. So everything was moving smoothly. There was a good team leader basically on on command and, and ready to help you if you needed help. And just everything just flowed like mm. butter. There were days when it was like, oh, we are we would serve, you know, it, it sounds like astronomical, but we would serve 150 like to 170 cars. Everyone got through in just like, you know, three to four minutes, like maybe that the most five or six minutes, but everything just smooth like butter. Everyone is, you know, getting the orders out. And it's just like snap, 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 done, 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 clear, 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 press, 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 button, button, button. Okay, we're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like so nice because those days went by really quickly. If you were with someone you liked, you could, you know, talk to them. Those are the days when everything just went really smoothly. And that was, you know, always awesome. So some of my best memories joking around with my coworkers and and we had these, you know, the headsets that, that people stare stereotypically have in the in the drive through cockpit. Mm-hmm. Those have the ability to of course talk with speaker, but when we're taking orders outside, speaker is not needed. So we just had them on a mode where we could talk to anyone with the headset so there'd be like eight people in like this you know voice chat (laughs) we'd just be saying saying the most some well you know during the day we kept it pretty pretty professional but you know sometimes at night we'd just sort of be goofing off if there wasn't anyone around to serve and just you know you know beatboxing and just sort of being goofy (laughs) after hours (laughs) yeah so that was that was always the fun experience the worst experience I would say it wasn't even necessarily that I got too upset when people were mad, et cetera, because we, you know, we'll just help them and move on your way, whatever. The worst experience was either when there would be like basically like 15 mad people in a row and it just, you know, you're sort of running out of patience <laughs> or when you were just put in a lot of situations during the day when you didn't really know what to do, nor did you have the power to find out what to do. You just sort of had to flounder around and kind of guess. So like one, one clear example of that was there was this one person that, that was, this was this is when I was pretty new. I, I would have known how to handle it like on my on my third <laughs> on my third anniversary and so on. What what happened was I had checked him out and he had a grilled club sandwich, so you know. Not not too confusing. Pretty pretty standard. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then he came back and said, does it always come like this? And so what he was showing me was a grilled club sandwich with one bite uh, taken out of it. What? Now in retrospect, I should have known. What it looked like to me was he had taken one bite out of it, seen like something inside of it, and said, Is this how you know is it always like this what what he was trying to communicate was does it always come with a bite out of it no way <laughs> and i did not understand what he was saying but we eventually did figure it out and yes i i was misunderstanding him i thought he was saying like does it always come with lettuce and i was like yeah it generally does come with lettuce that's kind of the whole whole thing here and then yes and then so eventually that that point was communicated i said i'm very sorry do not know why there's a bite out of i cannot tell you because i was not involved with the making and or sending out process but, you know, here's a fresh one. Have a nice day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was generally, so that's not bad. You know, haha, laugh it off. Get like 20 weird situations in a row. And yeah, you're, you're going to be going to be begging for mercy. Those two things would, there's kind of the contrast, either the day that's mo- that flows really well or the day that doesn't flow really well. Where everything is just friction, grinding, grinding, grinding. You're in the red, which means, you know, the timer is like in 10 minutes Oof. and you're just so, mm-hmm. eh. because clearly like Chick-fil-A, there's a very, very, and as there should be more restaurants, should, quick service restaurants should do this. There's a quite an emphasis on speed. Mm-hmm. Someone who will remain unnameless, they told me, will remain nameless. They told me that at McDonald's, no one cares if you're like, the cars have been waiting for 20 minutes. It's like, if you try to complain that I've been waiting for 20 minutes for my order, they'll just be like, okay, <laughs> you know, sorry, can't help, can't help you there. And at Chick-fil-A, if you're in a position where you're holding up the line to where it is like eight or nine minutes, someone will basically be like, 
I'm not mad at you, but like if you need help, let me come in and help you so that we cannot be at eight or nine minutes. Like there's clearly there's clearly such everyone feels it as well. There's like clearly such an, a culture, and I'm not saying this is bad. It just takes some getting used to. There's a culture of like let's take care of everyone quickly. Yeah, and that was great when we could do it, and then just gets stressful once it's like 25 minutes, which happens for just no reason if enough people are slow. Mm-hmm. I will now give you the official guide on how to be a, the official Zachary approved guide on how to be a good customer. <laughs> I'm excited. And in, in a lot of ways, <laughs> in a lot of ways, working in service jobs teaches you how to both be a good customer and, you know, obviously better worker and a better person in general. And so, and so of course, what I've learned is that although quick service and service jobs in general don't appear to be that hard, and maybe they're not. You kind of have to get a small amount of things right in order for things to really, really smooth. Well, it's like, yes, my job is putting things in boxes for eight hours mm-hmm. a day, but if I don't do it right, things are going to get messed up. And if I do it wrong enough times in a row, like, like they're going to be problems. Mm-hmm. Just caring like twenty percent more will obviously set you apart because that's you know unfortunately kind of yeah. the culture is like, what's the least amount of work I can possibly do here and to get my you know eight dollars an hour? Mm-hmm. It was like just care you know ten percent more than the average, and you're probably going to be doing pretty well. And so in general. I've learned how to be a good customer in the sense that I take what annoyed me from Chick-fil-A and then don't do that. In fact, overcorrect so much that I won't, can't even possibly be, can't possibly be thought that I'm doing any of those things. And that way, you know, I'm in and out, no problem. So you don't really have to do much to be a good customer. Generally knowing your order is pretty good. It's okay if you need to, you know, look at the menu and so on, but try not to, you know, hold things up too long. Generally, you know, just have a vague idea. I like a Chick-fil-A deluxe, no tomato, two Chick-fil-A sauce, whatever. It's okay if it's complicated, just generally know what it is. That tends to be helpful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so okay, step one, know what your order is. Step two, have a working payment method that uh, yes. will allow for you to buy the thing that you would like to buy. So it's okay, we're not picky, whether that be cash, whether that be credit. We can even take Apple Pay. We, we can't do Bitcoin yet, but you know, <laughs> there's many ways in which we can take your money in exchange for goods and services. Unfortunately, the only way we can do that is if you A, have that on you, and B, that has enough there is enough of it to to, to exchange. Mm-hmm. What what would generally slow us down is it was like, oh, I'm sorry, my card is locked in the trunk, so let me quickly go searching under the seat for it. Mm-hmm. Or you know, oh, my debit card doesn't have enough money on it, so let me pay you in nickels. And it was like, <sighs> and if that happens, it's okay if it happens once or twice. But if it happens enough times in a row, then that it creates a chain of anger where everyone is everyone is unfortunately kind of trapped up and everything is quickly going wrong. Mm-hmm. And so yes, do that. You don't have to be like super nice. Try to be like <laughs> a basically decent human. Try to be, you know, generally polite, generally nice, and yeah, generally cooperative. And yeah, those are really, you don't really have to do much. General, in general, to be a good customer, know what you want, know, <laughs> know how to pay for it, and be a, be a decent human. It's not, not too complicated. I mean, there may be a few advanced tactics if you want to hear them, but you know, those are the, the three tenets, how to be a good customer from Zach. There we go. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I, I think I mentioned before, but I worked at Crew Car Wash for a year, um, which is, there's a massive emphasis on customer service. And, uh, you know, it sucked <laughs> when people would come in and yell at me for something I didn't do or, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. But anybody in a retail job or a customer service job in general knows what that's like. So literally, if you want to be a good customer, just like, realize that the people that you're talking to are just that they're they're just people and yeah. they work here because they have to not necessarily because they want to right yes and a lot of times the the policies that are creating the problems no one in this building has the power to control those policies mm-hmm. not the most powerful person we can possibly bring you can't eight, control the price can't control the way this area is laid out can't control what how much inventory is available at a certain time it's so like redirect your anger toward a more constructive outlet like go yell at the people at corporate chick-fil-a or whatever it is you feel like doing right yeah 
don't tell us to change things because we oftentimes can't. Yep. And and the one last thing is it, what's so interesting. You may have sort of figured this out as well. There's this really interesting thing that happens once you do work a service job, which is that you kind of it's it sounds very negative to say a fake personality, but you kind of go into this weird mode after a while. And I don't know. Maybe maybe other people can speak to this as well. But it will basically be where like you become weirdly for me. Maybe this sounds crazy. <laughs> you become weirdly calm. And you become weirdly focused, just focused on your job and just doing it right and doing it super precisely. And sort of the rest of the world fades away. And just like, no matter what happens, you just say like vaguely polite things and look nice and, you know, try to seem just like halfway decent person. And then what's funny is that once you sort of develop develop this mode that you can go into you can actually go into it when you're working with a customer service person mm-hmm. so you're like mm-hmm, absolutely yes definitely and then <laughs> it's so it's so weird but you can basically click into this mode that makes things go more smoothly it's hard to explain more precisely than that and what's funny is that every now and then as i was working i would meet people who did click into that mode along with me and it's different than being nice it's just like being nice combined with like actively trying to make the process go as smooth as possible which is great and so if you got someone who is actively a Chick-fil-A team member who is trying to make things go smoothly and be nice. Combine that with a guest who is trying to make things smoothly and go be nice. It just like click. It's awesome. It's like you're out of here in 30 seconds. We're done. And yeah, everyone's happy. And it's great. And one of the people who will, you know, will remain nameless, but we had a few people, <laughs> a few guests that we knew by name who was like super nice. And we were like, you were done with you in like one minute, but you know, you can stay anytime. We love you because <laughs> you're great. Yeah. <laughs> it teaches you a lot in the sense of like, here's how to deescalate situations. Here's how to. Mm-hmm how to do some things that will, will come in handy in life. Anytime you had a meeting of the minds in that sense, it things would be great. I don't know if that happens at delivery driving or not. Yeah, maybe less so just because there's not as much human interaction, especially for B-Town. But like, right. yeah, I, I get what you're saying because past jobs that I've had, there's, yeah, like you say, there's that switch that you just get into this certain mode and you don't really, like what people tell you, like what people say to you doesn't really bother you anymore. And then you're not really... <laughs> nope. Like, even though you're being nice, you're not actually meaning it, you know? (laughs) Yep. Yeah, which sounds horrible, but you're doing what it takes to make the process go smoothly and not mentally torturing yourself at the process. Right. Exactly. So maybe this sounds super weird to the the great people out there who are listening. I don't know. <laughs> but this is just a look at a look at what it's like to be a delivery driver and be a front of house right. Chick-fil-A worker. There you go. Our world. There you go. Okay, I'd like to propose a surprise to you, mm. gentlemen. We might set a world record for the longest episode of the College Try ever. Oh, boy. Which I say, let's do it. Love it. I wasn't going to do it. I really wasn't. You mentioned that you were an Enneagram 7. I did. So you yes. got me. You lit the fire on the pile <laughs> of gas that I have, which is like super in, incredible interest in personality tests, including, including Enneagram, including Myers-Briggs. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to hear what it's like to be a 7 and... As well, I like to talk about integration and disintegration into like the other types. And I like to talk about all sorts of stuff. So explain, explain yourself, Jake, explain yourself. Yeah, I am an Enneagram 7. Funny enough, we were just having this conversation last night. Yes, we were. Basically, what my world revolves around is me being happy as much as I can possibly be and trying to make other people happy. Um, so I guess you could say that I'm a people pleaser. I try not to phrase it that way mm-hmm. just because it has ne- negative connotations. Right. But like, I just love having fun with people. I love it when people are enjoying each other's company and doing s- something that everyone likes and is having a good time with. Um, and basically what I try to do on a daily basis is like surround myself with those experiences. Um, and if I'm not, I try to look for it in the future at some point, um, whether it be 
watching a movie with a bunch of people or going to a gas station to grab ICs. It could be literally anything. If it's something that's going to create a memory and it's going to be a happy memory, I want to do it and hold on to that for dear life because I don't like thinking about sad things or, or any other emotion besides happiness. Dang, that's pretty, that's pretty <laughs> real. Yeah. Um, so you would say that you avoid most negative emo- emotions if you can i would say so yes because I, I like especially like anger or sadness i try to like push those away as far away as possible um just because i feel like it takes away from who i am and i hate feeling those which i know pretty much everybody like nobody likes feeling sad or angry but i feel like being a seven i try to steer clear of it as much as possible even more so and seven is in the head and anxiety one is that a triad is that right uh that's a great question <laughs> i am not as uh expert yeah yeah okay looking it up okay so seven is in the head and anxiety triad mm. which means that you know they're very much in their head mm-hmm. and the problem with this triad well all the triads of course they have their own unique sin whether that be anger shame or anxiety mm-hmm. the thing with the five six and sevens is it's anxiety and because they're living in their head all the time they have to deal with these anxious feelings they all have different ways of dealing with the negative feelings five is trying to get enough knowledge and sort of hiding within themselves six is preparing for the worst and like externally thinking about the worst and that's how they get their stereotype of being worried all the time yeah and then seven is let's push these (laughs) let's like escape these negative feelings let's push them away as far as humanly possible so we don't have to deal with them anymore which will be nice and clean Absolutely. And so one one interesting point about the Enneagram that really helped me narrow down my own type is the idea of, integ- well, it, it has different different things. Stress and growth are the two ones mm-hmm. that I usually hear. Basically, every type will go act like another type when they're stressed and will act like another type when they're they're more in an attitude of growth. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you know your own by chance? We were literally just talking about this last night. I think I, in stress, I go to one, correct? And then when I'm healthy, I go to five. Joe was just holding up the five, so I, that was not me remembering. <laughs> yeah, what does that look like, would you say? So one's like the perfectionist, right? Um, I wish we had been recording last you, night because I mean, this would have been perfect. Yeah, yeah it would have been because we were just talking about this. Yeah. We were talking to a friend who's a one, and we were just like, hey, like, what is it like? And she was like, yeah, like it's, I have this inner critic all the time, mm. and it's really hard to – sometimes it's really hard to not – you know, to get away from it. Sometimes it isn't, you know, Zachary, you could probably even speak to that, but you were saying, Jake, I think that sometimes when you're stressed out, you get that sort of, right. You sort of like get into my like inner crit, like, yeah, start critiquing like what I'm doing. Why am I, why can't I remember what I said? <laughs> I'm completely blanking on everything that I said. I think I, it just gets to a point where I, I guess you could also put this as my wing being a six. Um, but I start getting stressed out if I'm not in those feelings, right? Um, and then I start thinking about how other people are seeing me. If I feel like I've done something that has hurt someone or someone has seen me as being mean or something like that or shown a little bit of sadness anywhere, I feel like that hurts my like reputation, I guess you could say, or like how people see me as a person. Um, and that drives me insane. And like, it's the only thing I can think about for however long I'm feeling those feelings. Um, and so I just start really stressing out about like self image and that sort of thing. Um, and try to get away from that. But 
Yeah. Yeah, that's real. If that answers the question, I don't know. Yeah. This might be completely off base. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But for example, you mentioned like if there was a time on Disciples when you were stressed, is that when you went to more of the criticizing side and you were like, oh, these stupid adult leaders, they don't know anything. And that just became more pronounced, like your your criticism of the world. Jenna, would you say that becomes more pronounced in times of stress? Yeah, I would say so. I guess I hadn't thought about since Enneagram in terms of disciples, but yeah, I feel like you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. Enneagram can be applied to anything. That's the beauty of the Enneagram. It invades all, all parts of your life. That's right. <laughs> and then what does that look like for growth? Is that just be, becoming more calm, becoming more sure of yourself and sure of your knowledge? Yeah, I, I think it comes down to, I just need to realize that people aren't going to think those things. Like, even though it's, I just need to realize that it's all in my own head because my friends are my friends. If I do something or or act in a certain way, more often than not, they're not even going to notice. And I need to be able to understand that because I, I guess I always feel like if I do just the slightest thing different than what I would do normally, that everyone's going to notice and be like, oh, I'm, not, I'm never going to talk to Jake again. You know, and I start getting in my own head. Uh-huh. Um, and so I guess the growth of that would be, to like sort of just take a step back and realize, no, 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 no. Like th- my friends are not thinking this. They're not even thinking about the situation at all. It's only me thinking this. And I just need to calm down a little bit, Yep, which can be kind of hard. Yeah. And, and one thing we were talking about last night that I thought was interesting was that a seven wants to be a part of everything, but they also desire the freedom to not be a part of mm-hmm. anything. So... Why don't you, I mean, go into that a little bit if you can. I I guess what it is, uh, (laughs) is just being afraid of, I I guess you could say it's being afraid of commitment, right? Um, But to sort of break that down just a little bit, it's being afraid of committing to something and going and doing it, but then something else pops up and it might be more fun or it might be more comfortable sometimes. um, And you want to sort of be free to make the decision to go and do that. Um, So a perfect example would be way back in the day in high school (laughs) when I lived with my parents, we would go to the same church and I had my car, they had their car. There were days where I would drive to church, they would drive to church at the same time, and then we would get back to the house at the same time as well. And the reason I did that is because I, if there was even the slightest chance of people going and doing something after church, I wanted to make sure that I was available. And if I had ridden with mom and dad, that opportunity would have been taken. So every week, it, it was awkward when I started doing that because it was sort of weird where we would both drive to the same place and then come back at the same time. <laughs> and it made no sense. Um, but to me, it was like, I just want to make sure that I'm not missing out on something that could be fun and a good memory and a good time. So just things like that, just trying to make sure that you're available to do anything and everything, not at the drop of the hat, but like sort of just, like I said, have that freedom to choose what you want to do and not feel like you're tied down to something. So that idea of being social looks definitely different for me and Joe. Mm-hmm. I think that I, I obviously, who wants to miss out on anything? Definitely not me. Right. But I'm kind of take it more of the approach of like, well, we need to do this the right way, everyone. So mm. if we're going to get together, you know, we need to start a, start texting each other and like finding out where we're going to go and like, you know, how much how much it's going to take each way and how much we're going to pay and all this sort of stuff. And I, I would like to want to micromanage it and over over engineer is a word I use a lot. I want to over engineer it like down to the last second. And if people don't want to do that, then I'm more likely to say, well, 
if you do find something at the last minute, okay, but you know, see you next time, everyone. <laughs> and versus you're more like, you're definitely more spontaneous. And Joe, I think, mm-hmm. Joe, you can go either way. That's the joy of being the peacemaker. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, I can go nines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I would agree with you. I can, I can kind of go either way. The unfortunate thing sometimes is that I sort of just end up doing what people want me to do, not what I want to do, um, which is, yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it, it's, I don't know. It comes in handy sometimes when you need to make a good impression on people, but you know, sometimes it's it's not as good as it could be. <laughs> so, uh, something I'm working on. But anyway, thanks for sharing about being a seven. Of course. Any any day of the week, I'm happy to share what goes on inside my brain. Oh, thanks, <laughs> And I was just thinking, we've got several of the Enneagram types, but, like, we need to, like, look at this more carefully. So, as far as one... Hello, I'm the host of the show, Zachary. I am Enneagram One, Wing Nine. There we go. And we've had Hope on as a guest before, so Enneagram One. Mm-hmm. For two, we've had Lauren on the show before, mm-hmm. Enneagram Two. We've not had Enneagram Three. For Jack, we, we've we had Enneagram Four. Yep. We've had my brother Owen on, who was, de- who was a true Enneagram Five. Like, there's no <laughs> question to be had there. If you go, go listen, no question. And then we've not had Six yet. Seven, Jake, hello there. We have you right now, so check that out the list. Heyo. Yay. Checked off. Let's go. We've not had an Eight. And then, hello, host of the show, Joe, you're nine. So we have, <laughs> we're, we're missing three, six, and eight, but we've had, you know, we've had the wide variety of Enneagram types on the show. And so we're just missing three, six, eight. So Enneagram types, collect them all. And you know what? For those of you who know me, you know that I've been kind of hesitant to accept the nine-ness mm. of myself. And you know what? Yeah. Right Open now, your arms. Embrace it, baby. in this very moment, I'm going to say, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. Oh, oh. I am a nine. That's right, he is. That's woo. There we go. Yes, finally did it. Yay! Drinks on him. No, that's All not. Around. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But anyway, yeah, that that feels great to do. Um, thank you for sharing, and we will try to get every enneagram type on here. There we Collect go. them all. 